Hello and welcome to episode number 522 of Holy Crap It Sports. I'm Pete Davis, your host. A beautiful, sunny, 50-degree day here at the Sandy Springs Podcast Center and Laundromat for a Friday, December 16th, 2022. Bowl season is upon us, starting in, wow, just about an hour or so from the Bahamas. That'd be a nice place to be today since it's 50 degrees here. Just wait till next week. The whole country is going to be frozen. But hey, that's next week's problem, not today. Anyway, we've got all kinds of stuff. Let's get started. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you go to Pete Davis one Write me at PeteDavis1 at Yahoo.com. If you'd like to be a patron of the show, it's Christmas. If you think the show is worth supporting, just go to Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. It's under Holy Crap at Sports. I really do appreciate it. Just a cheeseburger a month. And if you want a t-shirt, still time to get it from the farmhouseprintingco.com. Get your Drink Up Shriners and Holy Crap It Sports t-shirts right here. Kimmer Show t-shirts, uh, Shannon Burke t-shirts, whatever you need at farmhouseprintingco.com. What are we drinking today, by the way? What are we drinking? Let's see. Let me think. How about let's just go with a Genesee Cream Ale. That's kind of Christmassy, isn't it? I think so. All right, what do we got here? Uh, happy birthday, I think, to my brother and nephew who uh, share the same birthday. And I hate to say this, it's either today or tomorrow. I can never remember which one it is. But anyway, happy birthday. Uh, latest on Dansby Swanson, an ESPN pundit has taken a major shot at a Georgia player, and they're not standing for it. Who won or lost the Bobby Petrino sweepstakes? Division two and JUCO and bowl games this week. The future of bowl games as bowl season officially starts and the future of college football. If you thought NIL and the transfer portal were revolutionary, wait until you hear what's coming next. An ESPN personality is upset that Keith Olbermann and his ilk got suspended from Twitter. An MLB broadcaster's drinking problem ends his career with the team. Another big injury for the Atlanta Hawks. A bad week for Superman. We got Pete's tweets, this day in sports history, birthdays, all kinds of good stuff. Let's get started. John Heyman of the New York Post reporting that the Dansby Swanson sweepstakes are down to two teams, the Cubs and the Braves, calling the Bravos stealthy. So don't don't count them out just yet. Meanwhile, former Atlanta closer Kenley Jansen receiving a cold welcome in Boston. Red Sox fans are mad as you-know-what after losing Xander Bogarts and only having Jansen under the Christmas tree, and I don't blame him. I don't get the sudden penny-pinching in Boston the last few years. They traded uh, Mookie Betts a few years ago, and basically all they got back for him now is Alex Verdugo because one of the centerpieces of that trade, they didn't want Bruce Dar Gratterall because uh, they thought he was hurt. Well, he wasn't. Uh, they got Jeter Downs. A great name, by the way, but uh, they don't think he can play because basically they just DFA'd him today. And I just don't understand why Boston, which is the third most, I guess the third, not, not most popular, but m- most worth in Major League Baseball, worth more, which makes him one of the biggest things in the world. Uh, why they suddenly don't have any money. If I was a Red Sox fan, I'd be asking questions. Dan McLaughlin is out as the Cardinals play-by-play broadcaster on Bally Sports Midwest. You probably heard this guy over the years. He's been there quarter century. McLaughlin is leaving by mutual decision mm -hmm, following a DWI arrest last week. He says, I spent the last several days reflecting on my steps forwards and towards addressing my health and the well-being of my family and me. I have come to the conclusion that my sole focus needs to be on my recovery, which I have started, and that of my wife and four children. I don't think they have a recovery, but anyway. As a result, I am stepping away from my duties, he said duty, at Bally Sports Midwest. Thank you. God bless. 
This year was set to be his 25th year in the booth and 26th overall with the cards. The 48-year-old's arrest last week was his third DWI arrest, which has led to a charge of persistent offender of driving while intoxicated. So he could spend some years in jail over this one. And maybe you should to try and dry out. I don't know what's going on there. The Yankees assured Aaron Judge that signing him would not keep them from signing other big free agents, and they told the truth. Uh, They signed Carlos Rodon, the lefty. Fangraph says the Yanks now have the best rotation in baseball, but take that with a grain of salt, because last week they said the Mets did. And frankly, if Max Scherzer stays healthy this year and Verlander does anywhere close to what he did last season, I think it is the Mets. That's just me. Uh, College football news. Let's go right to that as I take a sip of the Genesee Cream Ale, which I think I actually have had in the past. Don't know if I'm If I liked it or not, I can't remember. Anyway, it didn't take long for Mississippi State to get a new captain of their pirate ship after the untimely death of head coach Mike Leach. And by the way, they're going to have a memorial service at uh, the Bulldogs Stadium in Starkville, I think, coming up Tuesday. Uh, Bulldogs D.C. Zach Arnett is named the new head coach. He's been Leach's D.C. for the last three years in Starkville. So continuity is what State was looking for. He's not a big name from the outside, but everybody says this kid's got a lot going on. He's like He's really young, like 38 or something. He spent eight years in San Diego State uh, before he came to Mississippi State. So, And speaking uh, of Leach, his former boss and friend Hal Mummy, the former Kentucky coach, recounted they once had a 15-hour phone conversation about any and everything while Mummy was on an overnight bus trip. He said, we talked about nearly everything, my ex-wife, whether there is Bigfoot or aliens. We talked about what is better, In-N-Out Burger or Whataburger. We talked about various forms of stupid defenses. He told this to AL.com, by the way. We talked about how people migrate to politics but don't know what they're doing. And while Leach had a myriad of topics to dive into the discussion, Mummy recalled struggling to keep up due to the effects of Ambien, a prescribed sleeping medicine. A lot of people are having trouble with that recently. However, Leach always kept him entertained with a good story. Mummy said, I had to fight to stay awake, but it was so entertaining. I didn't care. He called when I was rolling outside the Jackson City limits. Doesn't say what state Jackson he was in. Uh, we hung up and were rolling into Williamsburg, Kentucky. I, there's no way it took 15 hours to drive from uh, Jackson, Mississippi to Williamsburg, Kentucky. Does it? I don't think it takes that long. But I don't know. It could have been another Jackson. Meanwhile, Todd McShay may have stepped in it and may not be, well, he may be a persona non grata in Athens, Georgia from now on. Uh, The ESPN draft expert McShay says UGA defensive lineman Jalen Carter will go number two in the NFL draft to the Seahawks. But then Todd took a shot at Carter. Quote, with Carter, there are some character issues. Does he get along with everybody? What's he like to deal with in the locker room? Those sorts of issues. I know it's early in the process, but I am forewarning everyone out there. Carter is going to be kind of a hot-button name when we talk about some of the intangible aspects of it. I think Pete Carroll sitting there at number two, who has a long history taking guys who have quote-unquote questionable character and then developing them and having them work out, that makes a lot of sense to me. That will be the big discussion. It's not about his talent. It's not about his size. It's not about his explosive takeoff or finishing as a pass rusher. It's about the character, and do we want to bring that guy into the building? Wow. Those are some harsh words words from Todd McShay about Jalen Carter. Well, Carter's teammates quickly took to Twitter to defend their friend, saying, what is he talking about? This guy, we go to war with this guy. 
So take it for a grain of salt. Either Todd McShay is completely off his rocker or he's right on the... We'll have to just wait and see. Uh, uh, knowing ESPN, <clears throat> I would say I'm, I'm going to side with Jalen Carter for the moment. Uh, meanwhile, you know, NIL has revolutionized college football, so has the transfer portal. Those may be child play coming, uh, what's coming down the horizon here. The National Labor Relations Board, that's right, government involved once again. The LA region of the NLRB plans to pursue unfair labor practice charges against Southern Cal, the PAC-12, and the NCAA as a single and joint employers of FBS football players and Division I men's and women's basketball players. In other words, this could be the first step of making athletes actual employees of the schools and the NCAA, which is what Kirk Herbstreit predicted last year. It likely means a union is coming. Well, gee, unionizing teachers sure has helped the educational system of the country, right? What could go wrong? Mm. Well, it looks like Jimbo Fisher hasn't quite hit the panic button, or maybe he thought adding a backstabbing a-hole onto his staff wasn't such a smart idea. Missouri State head coach Bobby Petrino will not be heading to Texas A&M to be the Aggies offensive coordinator. He's off to UNLV to do the same for the running Rebels. Lots of space out there in the Nevada desert for driving your side piece in your sidecar on your motorcycle. How the mighty have fallen since he left the Atlanta Falcons in the middle of the night to head to Arkansas. And I think it was he who left laminated uh, pieces of paper in every Falcon player's locker uh, saying, I'm gone, see ya, I'm off. And it was kind of toward the end of the season or something like that. He just left. Another fine hire by Arthur Blank, even though I still I have total confidence in Arthur Smith. It's the old Groucho line. I have nothing but confidence in very little of that. But that's not true. I have a lot of confidence in Arthur Smith. I think he's a good coach. So I'm watching some of the Division II playoff games, and I think they got the championship games coming up today, or at least the semis. It's, it's pretty close uh, coming up on ESPN. You can watch them later. I love to watch the kids playing their hearts out in what's likely their last organized game or games in football. And so I was watching the Colorado School of Mines easily win their home game against Shepherd of West Virginia the other day. The Mines located in Golden, Colorado. The game was so out of hand that the cameraman just kept an eye on the team's mascot, which happens to be a burrow, a live burrow named Blaster. Now, I don't know the difference between a burrow and a donkey and an ass, but there's got to be a difference of some sort. I think the burrow has a bigger gut. But anyway, it's a very cute gray burrow. Let's everybody come up and pets him. Yeah, he likes that. Very docile. Even had a diaper on. Now, you never go behind them for two reasons, but that's one of them. The School of Mines in Colorado has a colorful history going back to 1893 in football. Uh, let's see. It's the oldest stadium west of the Mississippi River, and they showed a pic of it from the 1800s, and you could see an outhouse on the sideline. I guess both teams had to share it. They used to play and beat teams like Texas and Texas A&M back in the day. And like I said, they got a great history. In fact, I mentioned them in uh, one of my books, The Totally Biased Guide to Southern College Football. So there could be a Christmas present. Uh, by the way, the logo of Blaster is a kicking burrow. It's literally a kick ass holding a lit dynamite stick in its mouth. I have got to get a t-shirt of that. That may be the best mascot logo I have ever seen. Now, more and more college players are opting out of the bowl games, even if they're not entering the NFL draft. 
Players used to dream of playing in these postseason bowls. Now, not so much. Even Purdue players are opting out. It's not like they go to one every year. Even though former Boilermaker Drew Brees is signed on to help them practice, and Graham Harrell is their new OC. So for most of these bowl games, it's no longer a chance to enjoy the fruit of your labors after a long season. Now it's mostly for getting ready for next season, which for some it's always been about anyway. you got to get those practices in, the extra ones. Yet more than ever, if you want to see what your team will look like next season, these bowl games are your chance. Players who have not played a lot or at all this year will see action. It's like a bigger version of a spring game except on a beach somewhere, if you're lucky. Which, by the way, bowl season kicks off today. Four teams begin postseason. In the Bahamas Bowl, Miami of Ohio against UAB and Nassau. And the Red Hawks and Blazers will kick off uh, probably by the time you, they've already played by the time you listen to this. They start at 1130 this morning on ESPN. Also today, uh, Texas San Antonio will face Troy in the Cure Bowl. Uh, Also on ESPN at 3 o'clock from the stadium down in Orlando, Florida. I don't know why I affected that strange way of speaking to say Orlando, but there it was. NFL news. Can we finally put the Geno Smith stuff to rest? Sure, the Seahawks are talking to him about a long-term contract, which would be a huge mistake. But last night, the 49ers beat them in Seattle. Yep, loud Seattle with their loud fans. Did you hear the roar from the crowd when the Niners scored? Uh, no, no, that can't possibly happen there. That only we, we are assured by all national broadcasters that that only happens in Atlanta when the Packers or the Steelers come to town. Oh, my gosh. That's a, that's an occurrence that only happens in Atlanta ballparks and stadiums. That couldn't possibly happen in one of the best fan base stadiums in the NFL. There were like 40% 49ers fans there last night. And the Seahawks were still fighting for the playoffs. Not anymore. Uh, but they're still mathematically alive. But by the way, I was, I was watching this morning on Get Up. The Packers still think they have a chance. They play Monday night uh, against, what, the Rams or somebody? I forget who. And they have to win their last four, the Packers do. And either Washington or the Giants have to lose three of their last four. And the Seahawks have to lose one of their last three. Well, the, the Packers aren't going to win four in a row. That's just not going to happen. But anyway. Uh, by the way, uh, the rookie quarterback for the 49ers, Mr. Brock Purdy, I think is his name, uh, was starting just his second game, went into Seattle and beat them. By the way, it's time for a change on Puget Sound, both in quarterback and coach, in my opinion. NBA news, the Atlanta Hawks center Clint Capella is expected to be out for two weeks after suffering a strained right calf and Wednesday night's loss at Orlando. He's averaging 12 points, ranks third in the NBA with 12 rebounds per game. So that just goes on the list. we got uh, John Collins has missed seven straight games with an ankle injury. And guard DeJounte Murray has been out a week with another ankle injury. Top scorer Trey Young missed Monday's loss at Memphis, uh, but he returned against Orlando to no avail. Uh, This season, gosh, I hope they can turn it around and get the injuries going in the right way because such high hopes the last two seasons and it's been disappointing so far. ESPN News, so every year, got a little rant here for you. Every year or so, I see ESPN's Ryan McGee do something on the TV, and I think, why am I not following that guy on Twitter? He seems like an affable sort. So I follow him on Twitter, and within a week or so, I suddenly remember why I followed him before, but quit following him, because Ryan McGee says some really stupid things on Twitter. 
Take last night, for instance. He tweeted, and this is paraphrasing here. I think now is a good time to remind everyone my Instagram handle is the same as this one on Twitter. Gee, that's revolutionary, isn't it? For the last three months, we've been hearing from all the so-called experts in media that, oh, we're going to wake up tomorrow and Twitter's going to be gone. Yet here it still is. In fact, somebody else the other day, oh, Bill Maher was joking about that a while back. It was like, yeah, I was uh, well informed that Twitter would not be here when I woke up in the morning, yet here it is. But anyway, here's what Ryan McGee did. He basically said, he basically did that to say, well, with what's going on with Elon Musk doing what he's doing, you know, this could be gone tomorrow, blah, 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 or he could be banned. Well, hmm. Ryan, unless you're planning on doxing Elon Musk or his kids by posting when and where his plane is taking off and landing, then I think you're safe. Because that's what got Keith Olbermann and several other leftists suspended from Twitter yesterday. Olbermann, who's been back guano ape shit for a couple decades now, started a campaign on Twitter to post Elon's flight plans. This after another leftist had been suspended for doing just that. This after a masked crazy man followed one of Elon's children. The police are now investigating that guy. The only reason you follow a man's son or post where his planes are or where they're landing is you're hoping or planning on doing them some harm. This isn't following college coaches' jets around to see where they're recruiting or interviewing. Uh, these people have poked the bear, and the bear has teeth, and he's biting back. That's what happens when you attack the richest man in the world. And if he's using his power to protect his family, I'm behind him 100%. For years, conservatives... Uh, both in the sporting world and others, have tweeted in fear of being suspended for the least little thing, and leftists cheered that on. The New York Times did a big piece yesterday about, oh my God, these six, six reporters have been kicked off Twitter or suspended from Twitter. Six reporters. New York Times cheered when the New York Post, an entire newspaper, the oldest newspaper continuously running in the United States of America, came out with the Hunter Biden laptop story and got banned from all of social media and threatened by government people that will come after you if you keep pressing on this. New York Times had no problem with that, but they got a problem with their ilk. Uh, I'm sorry, let me just point out what you told us for the last four years. It's a private company. He can do what he wants. Anyway. So it's a Christmas gift come early, by the way, for having this happen. As for the Ryan McGee's of the world, I don't think your cute commercials driving around the South in a pickup truck to different football games has placed you on Elon's radar, pun intended. But it did put you back on mine, so off you go again and for the last time. And once again, I'll say this. If you are posting, it's one thing. Here, This is the difference. Journalism is saying that someone important like Elon or a government official or a celebrity is going to be in Colorado Springs today to give a speech to the Air Force Academy. He's going to be there today, and then he's going to fly off to uh, Springfield, Massachusetts or someplace. You know, That's journalism. What is not journalism to say his plane, which is a blank, 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 with the number blank, 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 is going to be landing in Colorado Springs airport at exactly this time going to this hangar it will be there for this long to refuel and then it'll be taken off at this time and go to the that's not journalism that's doxing and that's wishing harm on somebody that's exactly why they did it they did it hoping somebody would would do something to him or his family and i got no problem i, I wouldn't have a problem if he hired goons 
to surround him and his family and keep an eye on these people doxing him. I would, boy, if, if I had a billion dollars, you know damn well that's what I'd be doing. I'd have former Mossad agents surrounding me. On an entertainment note, Henry Cavill seems like a good guy and a pretty good actor. I enjoyed his work first when he was on The Tudors several years ago. If you had a chance to go watch that show with uh, John Rice Plumley, No, I'm just kidding. It was some guy, John Rice, Reese Davies or something like that. Boy, there's a career that went off the skids. Henry Cavill was his second star on that uh, Tudor show, and he became the big guy. But anyway, so when Cavill was named Superman, I thought that was a pretty good idea. And it was. Despite being British, he played the all-American hero like a champ. And I've enjoyed watching him in other things like The Witcher on Netflix. But a few weeks ago, it was announced he was leaving that very popular role after two seasons to concentrate on other roles like returning as Superman. But James Gunn, the guy behind the Guardians of the Galaxy and Suicide Squad, is now in charge of the DC comic movie universe to try and fix it. He's the Kevin Feige of DC. If you don't know who that is, Feige, the mastermind behind the Marvel movie success. Although we found out at the end of She-Hulk. Sorry, it's a... If you haven't seen She-Hulk yet, this is a spoiler. We found out at the end of it that uh, Kevin Feige is not a human being. He's an AI. It was pretty funny. But anyway, Gunn has decided he wants another man to play Superman. Hopefully a man. We've already got a Supergirl. So Cavill is out. Fans are not happy. I feel so sorry for the next guy in the cape. He's got a big cape to fill. Because Henry Cavill may have been the perfect guy to play. So, uh, Christopher Plummer was pretty good about for the 70s, I thought. <clears throat> I don't think it would be now. But Henry Cavill came the closest you can have as a Christopher Reeve that was an even better actor, in my opinion. But <clears throat> we'll see what happens next. Henry has a lot of time on his hands now, and he will not be idle for long. On this day, December 16, 1918, Jack Dempsey killed Carl Morris, Carl, in 14 seconds. 1923, the NFL championship, undefeated Canton, uh, repeat as champions. The Canton Bulldogs win 11-0-1. 1928, the title game in the NFL was won by the Providence Steamroller. <laughs> they finished 8-1-2. 1930, golfer Bobby Jones from Atlanta is the first to win the James E. Sullivan Award for Best U.S. Amateur Athlete. 1940, Joe Lewis KO'd Al McCoy in six rounds for the heavyweight boxing title. 1945 NFL championship in Cleveland Stadium. The Cleveland Rams beat the Washington Redskins 15 to 14. That was the last game before the Rams moved to Los Angeles. So they won a championship and then they left. How Cleveland of them. And by the way, I've been to Cleveland a couple of times. I had a good time in Cleveland. I, I, I didn't understand why people trash it all the time. It's the same with Pittsburgh. I enjoyed Pittsburgh. Anyway, 1962, New York Giants quarterback Y.A. Tittle set the NFL season touchdown pass record at 33 with six touchdowns against Dallas. I think that's been broken since, but anyway. 1972, the Dolphins became the first undefeated regular season NFL team. They went 14-0. 1973, O.J. Simpson, the first NFL running back to go for 2,000 yards in a season rushing. 1979, Dallas quarterback Roger Stallback threw three touchdowns for 336 yards in his last regular season game with the Cowboys, a 35-34 win over Washington at Texas Stadium. And what a way to go out. And in 2013, the 79th Heisman Trophy Award went to Florida State quarterback Jameis Winston, who's still floating around the NFL somewhere. Uh, the Saints, I think he's still with the Saints. Anyway, birthdays now. 
on December 16th. Uh, if you're an old NFL fan, Tom Brookshire, 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 uh, was born in 1931. He was uh, the first teammate of the analyst guy with uh, Pat Summerall and uh, did a pretty good job. Uh, let's see. He was a football player and sportscaster. He was born in Roswell, New Mexico, 1938. One of my favorite sports writers growing up and as an adult, Frank DeFord, Sports Illustrated, the guy who was the editor of the National, the first national sports newspaper, came out, what, was it every day? I think it was every day. And I had the good luck of being a stringer for the National back in the uh, late 80s or early 90s when it was around. I loved the National. The National was great, but it just, it was a little early for that type of thing. It was pre-internet, and it just didn't take off, and uh, they lost a lot of money. It was a Mexican billionaire that was behind it, and Frank DeFord did a good job with it, but uh, I take it as an honor that I was a young stringer for them by covering some of the Braves games. 1962, William the Refrigerator Perry was born, a defensive lineman for the Bears, born in Aiken, South Carolina. 1964, Billy Ripken, second baseman for the Orioles and the Rangers, born in Havre de Grasse, Maryland. I hope that's how they pronounce it. 1966. Oh, by the way, Billy is on the MLB Network. Uh, 1966, Clifford Robinson, NBA All-Star in the 90s, the sixth man of the year award in 93 for the Suns and Blazers, born in Buffalo, died a couple years ago. 1967, Donovan Bailey, Canadian athlete. He won Olympic gold at the 96 Atlanta Games. And uh, let's see, uh, had a world record in the 100 meters. And did other stuff as well. Uh, born in Manchester Parish, Jamaica. 1979. Uh, Trevor Immelman, the South African golfer who talks like a Keebler elf. Uh, won the Masters in 2008. Born in Cape Town, Western Cape of South Africa. Uh, dead people on December 16, 1926. William Larned or Larned was an American tennis player. Died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. He was just 53. So I looked him up. Larned, in 1898, was in the Spanish-American War as one of Theodore Roosevelt's Rough Riders. While serving in that war, he caught rheumatism in Cuba. I didn't know you could catch rheumatism. And got rheumatoid arthritis later, which deteriorated his health and forced him to retire from tennis. In 1912, partially paralyzed by spinal meningitis, he was unable to do any of the activities he loved most, and he got depressed. So on the evening of December 15, 1926, Inside the private chambers of the exclusive Knickerbocker Club in Manhattan, the 53-year-old Larned committed suicide by shooting himself. I say there, old man, rather unsporting of you to leave a mess like that in the old club, I say. Yeah, come on, don't do that in a club. Come on. 19, how déclassé. 1940, Billy Hamilton, not the one you know of, but the earlier one, Hall of Fame outfielder, was national batting champion in 1891 and 93, five-time stolen base leader in the senior circuit, played for the Kansas City Cowboys and the Philadelphia Phillies, died at age of 74. He was a very fast guy, as every person named Billy Hamilton obviously is. 1973, Sid Barnes passed away. He was an Australian cricket batsman. He died of barbiturate and bromide poisoning. He was just 57, so I looked him up. A very colorful player with lots of opinions. At one point, uh, some people tried to keep him off the Aussie national team due to his hijinks, which included jumping the turnstile at a ground when he forgot his player's pass, insulting the royal family, <laughs> theft from teammates, drunkenness, and stealing a car. 
Now, back then, insulting the royal family could get you drawn and quartered. Uh, after a bad call in a game against England, he grabbed a stray dog. I don't know where he got it from. Held it up to the umpire and said, now, all you need is a white stick. Insinuating the man was blind. That'll get you tossed in most places these days. 1984, Debs Garms, one of the weirdest names ever, Debs Garms, a utility man, won a World Series in 44 with the Cardinals, nationally batting champ in 1940 with the Pirates, dead at the age of 77. And in 2004, we lost Ted Abernathy. He was a player, mainly a reliever, I think, for the Royals. He's a very tall, tall, gangly sort, and I have his baseball card. And he stuck out because he was so tall and skinny, kind of like Kent Tocolvi type. Uh, he was born in 1933. little Genesee cream ale here on the home stretch. Let's see. Wedding. One wedding of note. Uh, 1991, NBA center David Robinson was 26. He married Valerie Hoggett at a Baptist church ceremony in San Antonio. Alexa, who is David Robinson married to? David Robinson is married to Valerie Hoggett. Yes. They have been married since 1991 and have three children. By the way, Hello. you can thank the Alexa, stop. Anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's still married to her. That's very, very nice, isn't it? It is. Uh, let's see what else we got here. So I'm watching the World Cup the other day, and it's down to Argentina and France. I'm hoping it's Argentina wins. Nothing against France. I just I want Messi to finally get one. It's his last one, his chance at one. And my neighbors are Argentinian, so yeah, we'll pull for him. Anyway, the, France has a guy on their team. His name is F-O-F-A-N-A. Yeah, Fofana. Fofana, Bamana, Mamana, Anyway, I bet he had fun growing up. Well, he didn't grow up here, so maybe he didn't have to deal with that. Yeah, I wonder if France, if they have the name song, you know, Babana, Fatana, Batana. That didn't last long when we were kids. We did that for like maybe a month, and then it disappeared. I don't know. Ian Rappaport says that NFL executive Peter O'Reilly says the NFL will not play a game in Mexico next season because the stadium down there is going to undergo renovations for the World Cup. So they will likely play two games in Germany instead. All right, then. What else we got here sports-wise? No, that's not sports. That's not sports. Uh, that's Oh, this is funny. A bumper sticker Rick tweeted me to say that uh, Fistful of Radio was playing uh, Kimmer's first WTZA show right now. Uh, that was we were on there for like a month and a half before the COVID hit and everything shut down. Let's see. Uh, can't believe it's nearly three years ago that y'all came back to radio. And he said, and by the way, Kimmer's telling his friend Tarkington's story. <laughs> if you've never heard it, I don't know what rock you've been hiding under. You've probably been in a gulag in, in the former Soviet Union because Kimmer's told that story a thousand times which we all laugh about. Uh, NFL rumor says the Buccaneers head coach Todd Bowles and Saints head coach Dennis Allen are expected to return next season. Here's my prediction. Bowles will be fired during next season and Allen will be fired during the following season. Oh, we got a siren out there today. Hope everybody's okay. All right, let's find more sports here while the siren is going off. SEC officiating is an actual tweet place and they put out an update about instant replay this past season. This is SEC. 103 games used the replay. 250 play stoppages. 88 plays were overturned. That is a 35% percentage of plays overturned. And the average length of reviews was 1 minute and 26 seconds. That's not bad at all. 
The Yankees have signed Carlos Rodon, the left-hander, to a deal. Jason Stark says that means nine of the top ten free agents on the top 25 list have signed. The only three left, allegedly, according to this list, not mine, but his, Dansby Swanson at number nine, number nine, uh, Nathan Evaldi at number 13, and Andrew Benatendi at 17. Uh, what else we got here? ESPN College Football says Miami of Ohio is going to wear a flag, fly the flag. What did I say? Flag. I hope I said flag there. Fly the flag helmet decals today to honor Mike Leach. It's a skull and crossbones on the front of the helmet or the back of the helmet. That is really, really cool. All right. Speaking of cool, let's check back. Uh, what else we got here? This date in baseball history, December 16th, 1938. The Braves deal catcher Ray Mueller. Mueller to the Pirates for Al Todd, who will get traded to Brooklyn in March for a player, I'm not making this up, whose name is Johnny. Johnny Dickshot. Yeah, Johnny, Johnny Dickshot. Uh, 1954, Willie Mays becomes the first player to win the Most Valuable Player Award in his full, first full year in the majors. Easily outdistancing Reds first baseman Ted Klazuski for the honor. Mays was 23 years old at the time. He had missed most of the last two seasons in 1951 and 52 because he was in the Army. Uh, gosh, he would have passed Babe Ruth. No, well, we'll find out. We'll never find out. 1975, with little encouragement from other owners, Bill Veck, who will see his team win their first pennant in 40 years, reacquires the White Sox when he purchases 80% of the team as part of a group intending to keep the franchise in Chicago. The American League had pressured former owner John Allen to sell his club to a Seattle interest to stop a lawsuit. The Seattle people were mad that the American League had pulled the uh, Seattle Pilots from Seattle after just one season and took them to Milwaukee. 1976, the raids tread for the raids. All right, one more sip of the cream ale. You can tell this has been a long morning. The Reds trade first baseman Tony Perez, along with pitcher Will McEnany, to the Expos for pitchers Woody Fryman and Dale Murray. The Big Red Machine's heart and soul spends three seasons in Montreal. Man, something's going on out there. We got another siren going by. That's a fire engine. But anyway. Uh, Perez will spend three seasons in Montreal, hit 46 homers, 242 RBIs, a 281 average before leaving as a free agent to the Red Sox in 1980. 1982, Tom Seaver's trade back to New York from the Reds becomes complete when Tom Terrific comes to contract terms with the Mets. Cincinnati gets pitcher Charlie Puleo and two minor leaguers, Lloyd McClendon and Jason Felice. 1983, replacing Billy Martin who finished in third place, Yogi Berra is hired for the second time to manage the Yankees. The Hall of Famer's self-exile from Yankee Stadium lasted for nearly 15 seasons after he was fired 16 games into the 85 seasons, uh, despite assurances from owner George Steinbrenner that he would not be fired. 2002, after being invited to the Dominican Republic by President Hippolito Mejia, the Japanese home run king Sadaharu Oh meets one of his favorite players, island resident Sammy Sosa. 2009, in a series of moves involving four teams and nine players, results in two Cy Young Award winners getting traded. The Phillies send three top minor leaguers, Travis Darno, <laughs> Cal Drabeck, son of the uh, Doug Drabeck, and Michael Taylor, later traded to the A's third for third baseman Brett Wallace, to the Blue Jays for Roy Holiday. 
After securing their new ace, Philly sends former ace Cliff Lee to the Mariners for a bunch of players. 2011, a federal judge sentences former giant superstar Barry Bonds to 30 days of house arrest, two years of probation, 250 hours of community service, and $4,000 fine. Guilty for obstruction of justice. He could have faced 15 months in jail. The prosecution recommended that. Do that, but he's special, so. 2017, the Braves get first baseman Adrian Gonzalez, shortstop Charlie Culberson, and pitcher Scott Casimir and Brandon McCarthy in exchange for outfitter Matt Kemp, who went to the Dodgers again. The best part of that was Charlie Culberson. I don't think Gonzalez ever played a, a bit for the Braves. 2020, on the, an overrated. Gonzalez was an overrated player. On the centennial of the founding of the Negro Leagues in 2020, MLB announces it was correcting a longtime oversight in the game's history, reclassifying the Negro Leagues as a major league. Big League records will now include the verified stats from 1920 through 1948 of these seven black baseball circuits. Thanks to Saturday Down South, ESPN, on this day, National Pastime, and SI.com for helping me out with this lovely show today. Let's see. Let's go to Twitter, see if we've missed anything. For the last uh, hour or so that we've been doing this show, uh, da, 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 what else we got here? I'm not seeing a lot jumping out here. No, not seeing much. Somebody says Zach Wilson is going to start this weekend for the Jets. Don't know if that's true yet, but whatever. We'll check that out. All right, let's go to uh, ESPN.com. No, 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 nothing down there either. Anyway, uh, thanks for joining me. Everybody have a great uh, last weekend before Christmas. (laughs) That's right, your Christmas parties and, and what else? I say your Christmas parties, not mine. Uh, what else we got? Uh, last chance to really get out and uh, hit the stores for this last weekend and uh, have a good time. Stay safe. See you on Monday, God willing. And for Christmas week, we got a lovely Christmas show planned for you. Not really, but I'm going to. Everybody have a good one. And uh, drink up, Shriners. <laughs>